welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Julian Adams is a dear friend. He's also literally family to numbers of people in this room. There's so many cousins around the, the, the room, it's ridiculous. Um, and uh, Julian and Katia are just remarkable people. They live in, uh, right now, they live in Redding, California. Originally, uh, Julian's from South Africa, and Katia uh, is from Iran, I guess, originally. And um, let's hear it for Iran. The, the, and um, and, and um, they, they both uh, lived in this country for a number of years. Now they li- live in America. Uh, Katia has released a f- fantastic new book called uh, Equal, which is about uh, uh, women, men, and biblical authority and understanding that basically uh, in Christ there's nothing that any woman can do that any man can't do or the other way around, that we are equal in Christ. A brilliant book. She's a sharp thinker, a medical doctor, and uh, I encourage you to get hold of uh, that. Uh, Julian and Katya have uh, two kids, uh, one of each. They, 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 they have Ezekiel and Evangeline, uh, four and two. As I say, they're living uh, in Redding, California with Bethel Church right now. And uh, Julian visited us uh, this time last year, November last year. It's a Wednesday night. And he just prophesied into our church life. There are literally budget lines now for us as a church that relate to things he prophesied a year ago. And he prophesied into numbers of individuals. And it was just extraordinary. I always say this church is built on three words. The first is the word of God, Jesus Christ. We're all about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's self-articulation looks like? It's Jesus. Secondly is the word of God in the Bible. We're the people of the book. We take the Bible seriously. And the third is we believe in the living word of God today, active amongst us through the prophetic gift. And so we honor uh, the prophetic. And when someone prophesies, we understand that um, you know, they're, they're hearing God and they're speaking to us. Uh, it's not weird. It's kind of normal. Uh, we don't expect them to get it 100% right uh, because you know, the Apostle Paul says we prophesy in part. But we understand that God does speak through men and women. Some people are just really good at tuning into Radio Jesus. And uh, Julian is definitely one of those. He's trusted and respected all around the world. So can you put your hands together, please, and welcome Julian Adams. Great. Wow. So great to be here. So great to see um, so many friends and so many of my family here. Really great. Um, I'm super excited about this morning. I really feel like um, Jesus wants to do some stuff with us this morning. I'm so glad that we don't gather to an ideology. We gather to a person, don't we? We gather to the person Jesus. And um, I just love it when God shows up in an ordinary building like this made by human hands. And he suddenly takes over that space and it becomes a holy place. It becomes a place where we get to encounter him, a place where we get to enjoy him. My wife, Katya, sends love uh, to you guys. We, we really do love this church. We love what God is doing at Emmaus. We feel like there's some things that God is doing with you that is setting you up as a voice for this nation, but also for the nations of the earth in terms of what you carry and what you're releasing. And so it really is a joy to be able to partner with you and uh, to come and bless you this morning. I was telling some people um, earlier that before we had kids, I would wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Now that we've had kids, 
I say good Lord, it's morning. Um, so I particularly enjoyed my last night rest in the hotel. I'm interrupted. Um, I feel like a new man, so I'm ready to rumble. Um, won't you turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John? Um, at some stage, I'm going to flow prophetically. That just simply means I'm going to hear from God and give you a window into his purposes for your life, and I'm going to trust that you'll be encouraged. If it's not encouraging, you can stone me later. John chapter 2 and verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to a woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them, up with, filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. And did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept this good wine until now. You have kept this good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I absolutely love the Gospel of John. I think I have been stuck in this for about three or four years now. I love the outworking of John. I love the themes in John. John is one of the best um, gospel storytellers, I think. He uses different signs to point to the main character of the universe, who is Jesus. And uh, he does so in quite a, a clever way in that he uses his gospel to uh, be an allegory to the creation story. And so he starts off John in the same way that the book of Genesis starts off with, in the beginning. And John's whole message is that now through Jesus, there is a new beginning for humanity. Now through Jesus, there's a new genesis that gets to be discovered in who he is and who Jesus is for the sake of redeeming all things and seeing the new creation break out on the earth. And this is the first of those miracles that we see that point to Jesus. They are first of the sign miracles. You'll see that there are seven signs uh, throughout the Gospel of John, which uh, are, 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 are symbolic of the seven days of creation. And um, I love this first sign because the first sign we see is quite an incredible sign in that it starts in the context of celebration. It starts in the context of a wedding feast. Now, I, I, I know something about celebration because in my family culture, we do celebrations well. So I'm from mixed race in South Africa. We do celebrations um, very, very, very well. And then I've married into a Middle Eastern uh, family, and they take celebration to a whole nother level. Um, and it's incredible because we don't do celebrations just for one day. We don't do it like most English white people do from 9 to 10 in my diary. We do it for a weekend. You know what I'm saying? We go on, am I allowed to say white? I'm not quite sure if I'm allowed to, but anyway, I did. Um, we do it for a long time. And so I get something of this because this is a proper celebration. 
And celebrations are really important in the Bible. Celebrations speak of the kingdom of God. It's a sign of God's kingdom on the earth. Did you know that? It's why Jesus loved hanging out with prostitutes. It's why he loved hanging out with tax collectors. It's why they called him a glutton and a wine bibber. It was less about what he was doing and more about the fact that he loved celebrations. You see, celebrations speak of God's kingdom coming. There is a celebration that's about to happen one day that will make all other celebrations look like nothing. It's going to go on for eternity. And it's going to be outrageously lavish and extravagant and over the top. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe will be represented as we celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the Christian hope. It's what makes sense of the trouble and the difficulties that we might be facing, that there is a day coming when he will make all things new and usher in the party of all parties. Our God is a party thrower. I'm going to say amen to that point myself because I thought it was very good. (laughs) Not only that, when we see Jesus teaching us how to pray, he does so by saying, give us this day our daily bread. And we sometimes think of that as God simply meeting our needs. But when you understand the context that Jesus was speaking into, it was in an eschatological context. It means it was speaking about the end breaking in now. And the actual phrase, give us this day our daily bread, literally means to give us the bread of tomorrow today. And that expression would have spoken to the Jewish audience as an understanding that what he was talking about is that there's going to be a feast when the kingdom of God fully comes. And that what Jesus was actually asking for is some of the bread of that feast that is to come right here, right now. That's the most beautiful thing that I think we get to enjoy. You see, as a people, as a community, what we represent in the way that we live, in the way that we celebrate life, in the way that we do our life, is a prophetic picture of what's to come right here, right now. So that people looking around in on our community, looking around in on us, go, I want in on that because they look real happy. I'm seriously on a mission to bring happy clappies back to the church. Because joy should be the hallmark of who we are. Joy should be the hallmark of what we are as a community. It should be so attractive, so irresistible, that our friends keep saying, what is it about you happy people? And I love that this miracle happens in the context of a wedding. It happens in the context of a marriage. Because when you understand the creation narrative in Genesis, you'll understand that one of the first things that God um, creates is marriage. You'll see that there, this incredible poetry that the uh, writer in Genesis is writing through, uh, and he uses couplets to describe what God is doing in creation. So you'll see two seemingly opposite things made for one another, the sun and the moon, light and darkness, land and sea, plants and animals, and this is still true, man for woman. They're created for one another. They seem opposite, but they fit together. And the first thing that we actually see, the first couplet that God creates is heaven for earth and earth for heaven. You see, heaven is the domain, it's the dwelling place, it's the living place of God. It's the place where he rules in splendor, it's the place where he rules in majesty, it's the place where everything is as it should be. 
And that reality, heaven, is made for earth. Jesus says so powerfully as he's standing before Pontius Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And we sometimes think that that means that we should not associate with this world. But the reality is that although God's kingdom is not of this world, his kingdom is for this world. The heaven is made for earth. That there's a dynamic of God's goodness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his healing power, of his extravagance, of his kindness that is meant for the earth and that you and I get to steward. They were never meant to be separated. You see, heaven is the hidden reality of God's purposes, power, of God's gracious rule and reign at work in our life that we get to manifest wherever we go. That's outrageously good news. That's incredible if you begin to understand that. And what I love about this story of celebration is that they've come to the end of their party. This has been a proper party. These guys have drank their fill over a few days, and it's the third day. That's a beautiful phrase, and if I had time, you'll know that John uses that as a moment of instruction, as an indication that new creation is about to break out. That there's a moment of God about to do something as in what happened on the cross when Jesus was resurrected on the third day. It's a resurrection moment. It's a new creation moment. And we see this incredible moment, yeah, where Jesus takes some water into uh, water in, in some water stone jars that have been used for cleansing. And he takes the dirty, tepid water of religion and he completely changes the DNA, he completely changes the chemical structure into wine. I love this because this is possibly the most extravagantly unnecessary miracle in the Bible. I mean, I, I often find people get really offended with the kindness of God, particularly religious folk. They don't like the idea that God's completely outrageously kind, extravagantly unnecessary in his goodness toward us. <laughs> but the truth is, he is. He's extravagant. He's over the top. And some of you might be in this room, and, and you're kind of like, God, I don't get this. I just want to say to you, I believe God wants to bless you in the season with some unnecessary blessing. Some extravagant, over the top, outrageous, just because he's kind kind of blessing. I mean, I, I'm in line for that. I'd love that. <laughs> this is not one of those moments where we go, can I please have some more, sir? No, no, this is one of those moments where we say, God, give me all you've got. And I love the extravagance of this. And in fact, John says that his glory was revealed in this extravagant moment. Now, the story of Exodus with Moses asking God, could you show me your glory, is quite incredible. Because the glory that God reveals to Moses is not simply of his power, not simply of his ability to act, not simply of his ability to create, but the glory that God reveals to Moses is his goodness. It's the intrinsic worth of who he is. I want to suggest to you today that God wants to extravagantly show you how good he is to you. You see, the reality is that God not only loves you, he actually likes you. It's not a chore for him to diarize time with you. He delights in you. 
He finds you irresistible. He loves spending time with you. And the greatest lie that we could ever believe is that we're unworthy to receive his love. Because now in Christ, we get to receive his love, the Bible says, extravagantly and lavishly. He withholds no good thing from us. God wants to bless some of you with some unnecessary miracles today. He wants to bless you with unnecessary displays of his goodness. He really is that kind. He really is that outrageous. He really is that good. The story goes on to, to say that there's this particular woman who, who places a demand on Jesus. And it's his mother. Now, I get that. I, I understand what that's like. I've got a strong mum, and when she says jump, we say, how high, mum? That's what you do in my family. Um, and I love Mary because Mary does something in this context that is quite, quite cheeky. Uh, and I love it because she doesn't really care because Mary has been living with promise for over 30 years. She's, she's had this promise that her son would be the saviour of the world. And she's been living with it, and she's not seen any particular signs other than the prophetic words she received over 30 years ago to show her that this is true. And this is the first miracle that Jesus does, and she does something quite spectacular in that she places a demand on a future reality and says, I want that future reality to break in on us right here, right now. You see, Jesus says to her, Mother, this is not my hour. And he was referring to the moment of when he would die on the cross and his glory would be revealed in his brokenness and in his death on the cross, his glory. The fullness of who he is would be revealed in that moment as heaven touched earth on that cross now for eternity. It's a beautiful moment. And Mary says, I don't really care about what time it is. I want the miracle right now. And she, as it were, reaches into a future reality. Now, I mean, I can just imagine this lady living with prophetic promise. How many of you maybe have had a promise from God you've not seen fulfilled yet? And it feels like it's been year after year after year and no breakthrough has come. What Mary does in this context is she goes, you know what? I'm going to lean on over to the future reality of what's about to happen. And I'm going to pull that year right now. Now, often in Theological church circles, we talk about what's called kingdom now and not yet. And what that simply means is that when Jesus showed up on the earth, he inaugurated, he brought in a kingdom from heaven that was at work all throughout history, but now was being demonstrated in an extroverted way in the life of Jesus. And he comes in and wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom breaks up, people get healed, people are raised from the dead. Women who've been broken find their place and their worth again. The marginalized of society suddenly find themselves in community. It's a beautiful dynamic as God's kingdom breaks out in justice and mercy and in resurrection power wherever Jesus goes. I love that wherever Jesus went, whatever funeral he went to became a non-event, including his own. And you see the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. But how many of you know we still have people dying? We still have people struggling with sickness. We still have people who are trafficked. We still have injustice in this world. 
But I've got good news for you because of the cross of Jesus. God is in the world making all things right again. He is redeeming everything. And whilst we're living in the tension of his kingdom having come, we're expecting more of his kingdom to break out, aren't we? That's the hope of the Christian faith. And what Mary does is she models for us what it's like to lay a hold of a promise that's for the future and say, I don't just want to relegate it to the future. I don't just want to leave it to maybe if God will do something. No, no, she leans in and she pulls the reality of the future into the present right now. I wonder if you're living in a place where maybe you feel like promises have not been fulfilled. Or you're living in a place where you need a breakthrough to happen and it feels like nothing is happening. I've got good news for you. When you're leaning into Jesus, you get access to his kingdom and you get to pull the reality of that kingdom into earth, into this present world right here, right now. The Bible says that of God's kingdom, there will be no decrease. In other words, there is only increase in God's kingdom. My expectation, brothers and sisters, is that I get more of God's kingdom today than I did yesterday. In other words, I'm expecting things to get better, not worse. I am an eternal optimist, forgive me. People have often said to me, Julian, you have what's called an over-realized eschatology. What that means, it's just fancy theological words for, Julian, you're expecting too much of heaven right now. And I am guilty. I want to be leaning into Jesus. I want to be leaning into who he is for more and more breakthroughs, for more and more demonstrations of healing, for more and more demonstrations of his kingdom breaking up, making things right. I want to see more and more people getting saved out of sex trafficking. I want to see more and more people getting healed. I want to see more and more marriages being made whole. I want to see a greater demonstration of his kingdom transform society today than I did yesterday. That's what I'm believing for. And that's what it means to be the community of God's people, leaning into the reality of a future glory that we get to enjoy right now. We get access to that. And it's not just in the broad brushstrokes of God's work on the earth today. It's in your life personally. We've begun to see some increased acceleration of healing uh, in our meetings as God seems to be breaking in in a more demonstrative way and people are getting healed consistently in the most outrageous way. I was just at a church in Columbus and a, a lady came in who'd been unable to eat normal food for over five years. She'd been eating um, literally broth and rice as the only form of sustenance. If she ate anything else, she would have a violent reaction. And as we prayed, and I simply just declared, some of you are getting healed of eating disorders, this woman got instantaneously healed and has been able to eat whatever she wants with no reaction whatsoever. God wants to break out like that even this morning. God wants to do a whole lot more than we could ever anticipate. And some of it's just going to be unnecessary and extravagant. One of the most offensive things that people find about God is that he is unrelenting in his display of goodness to us. He wants to be really good. And Mary leans in to the reality of Jesus and what's to come. And she gets a breakthrough. One of the things that I often find 
difficult to understand about God is when the breakthroughs don't come, when the miracles don't come. I struggle with sickness in my own body, and some of the very things that I pray for, I've seen hundreds of people get healed. Some of the things I struggle with, I've seen hundreds of people get healed in. But my life is bookended by this reality. You see, Mary was looking forward to a future reality in the cross, demonstrating the kingdom of God on the earth. But I live from the reality of the cross. It is final. It's a historical fact. Jesus died and rose again, and he's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a historical reality. And my life was bookended by that reality and by the realities that because he's alive and well, he will come back again. Because he's alive and well, he is in the world making all things right. And I live with those two bookends in my life so that no matter what circumstances I'm facing, as I lean into him for the reality of that future to break in now, irrespective of what's happening around me, sooner or later, the reality of his kingdom will overshadow all things that are imperfect in my life and it will all become brand new and you might be in the place of delayed promise of delayed breakthrough often when I preach on this message people who've been struggling with long-term illnesses get healed you might be in that place I've got good news for you irrespective of your circumstance irrespective of what's going on and that's not to dismiss the pain of the circumstance God is in the midst of it, making things new. And sooner or later, you will see his goodness. Until then, friends, I will not allow my unanswered questions about my circumstances to overcome the reality of revelation found in the goodness of Jesus. The other thing I find quite fascinating about this text is that this is not just a miracle that changes the substance or the DNA of the water. This is a miracle of acceleration. Here's the thing. When you, got, when you became a Christian, when you said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, there was a profound miracle that took place. The very substance of your DNA, the very substance of who you are was completely transformed and you became a new creation. Much like this water, this dirty water. I, I tell you what, if you are not a Christian, if you're looking in, here's the deal. All of us have really tried hard to be good, but we're not. All of us have tried to keep the rules, but we can't. And that's what those stone water jars were like. People trying to clean themselves of their junk. But here's the beauty it takes a miracle working God to transform you from the inside out. Because God's not interested in your behavior modification. He wants to bring an internal transformation. And that's what happens at salvation. An internal transformation happens. But not only that, Jesus does something beautiful here. You see, I grew up in Cape Town where they make the best wine in the world. And also we play the best rugby in the world. But anyway, I'll move on. <coughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. Just joking. Don't forgive me. It's true. Anyway. <laughs> Something beautiful is happening in this context because it's not just a miracle of transformation. It's a miracle of acceleration. And here's the prophetic word that I feel like God is bringing to Emmaus Road. Because Jesus saves the best wine for now. It was mature wine. It was wine that took time 
for things to happen. I know what wine making is like. It takes a long time for you to mature a good bottle of wine. What happens in this context is that God accelerates it from just mediocre wine to mature wine in a moment. I want to suggest to you, and I believe this is true for you as a church community, God is about to thrust you into a season of incredible acceleration, that what would normally take a long time to establish, what would normally take a long time to build, God's going to do in mere moments in this next season. And some of you are believing God for breakthroughs. You believe in God for things to open up in your business, in your family. There are things that you've been praying for a long time. I believe God is releasing you into a season as a church of extraordinary acceleration. Like it's not just going to be moments of transformation, but God's going to couple that with highly accelerated moments of breakthroughs that will happen quickly. If you agree, you can say yippee or amen or hallelujah or whatever. The thing that's beautiful here is that Jesus not only says that he's going to accelerate it, but the master of the ceremonies says, you have saved the best wine for now. The most misquoted scripture in prophecies is that God saves the best wine for last. That's not what that verse is saying. I often hear people get up and say, the Lord says he's saving the best wine for last as if it's a future event that we'll never get to. No, no, the verse accurately quoted is that he saves the best wine for, for now. God wants to bring breakthroughs now. He wants to release favor into your life now. He wants to, he wants to bring health and relational health and emotional health to you now. That he wants to accelerate some journeys for you so that you get to the place that he has for you in order to walk with him and in order for you to fulfill all of the good things that he has for you. This is a now moment for you as a church. That there are promises you've been holding on to that he's about to release now. That there are things that God wants to do now for you. And so I want to invite you into a season of fresh leaning in to the future reality of God's kingdom. And think, you know what? I'm not going to allow my disappointment or my lack to determine my expectation of breakthrough. To determine my expectation of what God could possibly do in Guildford, in Surrey, and beyond. Because he's still the miracle-working God. He's still the God who turns water into wine. So, Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness. I ask you to come, Holy Spirit, even right now. I thank you that there is a season of breakthrough, a season of favor and acceleration that's coming upon Emmaus Road that is going to begin to apostolically redefine who they are. Come, Holy Spirit.